Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And we're back, everyone, to the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps. I don't know about you all, but last weekend, I, I can't think of a more exciting weekend of NFL football in quite some time, at least going back to the uh, championship games in the, the divisional round last season. There was a number of nail biters. Obviously, the, the Saturday games got us kicked off, and we got a lot of excitement, especially in the first half with Seattle appearing to to show up against San Francisco. Ultimately, the Niners just had too much talent and pulled away. But in that nightcap, hopefully you all got a chance to witness what we saw was the third largest playoff deficit overcome with the Chargers finding a way, charging their way once again to lose another playoff game. I mean, it's it's amazing how many times throughout their history, just over the last 20 years, I can think of a number of excruciating playoff losses. I recall one against Tom Brady and the Patriots when the Chargers were 14-2. and two. They picked Brady off with under a minute left. It appeared they had won the game. The DB, instead of picking it off and taking a knee, tries running it back needlessly. Has the ball stripped from behind by Troy Brown. Patriots recover, kick a field goal, go to overtime. Patriots win in overtime. Another playoff game, a divisional game against the Jets. They got a personal foul. Charger player kicks a penalty flag, causes another personal foul, pushes the Jets into field goal range. Jets kick the walk-off field goal because the Chargers literally kicked a penalty flag. Here we go again. Last week, 27-0 lead. They run the ball. They have seven designed runs in the second half with a you know, 20 point lead for much of that. It was incredible to just watch that team melt down once again. Props to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars for not giving up. But you just can't let that happen. And it's astounding to me that Brandon Staley still has his job. They fired their OC, fired the their quarterbacks coach, but they kept Staley on. And I get that he's not the one calling the offensive plays. But when you're holding a massive lead like that and your offensive coordinator is failing to call any running plays, it is incumbent upon the head coach to say, hey, what are you doing? Run the football, please. Let's eat some clock. Um, Obviously, the Joey Bosa stuff as well was I mean, there were so many reasons as to why they lost that game. And, you know, we like the Jags getting the points. We knew it was going to be a tough game. I feel like we got a little bit lucky in that, in that they were able to come out uh, and, and pull that one off. Uh, but since we're talking about the Jags, let's start there as we head into the NFL divisional round weekend. So they're traveling to Kansas City. They're obviously stepping it up in class uh, quite significantly. Now, this is a rematch from earlier in the season. Back in Week 10, the Chiefs beat the Jags 27-17. In that game, Casey actually led 20 to nothing, uh, with under a minute left in the first half. From there, it was mostly academic. I mean, the Jags made a game of it. They scored a couple touchdowns in the second half. But really, the, the game was never in doubt. The Chiefs had over seven yards per play on offense. And I find it hard to believe that the Jaguars' defense, which, you know, they've they got a little bit lucky to win two weeks ago just to make the playoffs uh, against the Titans. 
with that defensive strip sack return for a touchdown in week 18. And then they erased the 27, nothing deficit last week. Uh, I do think that they're going to be in this game. I do believe that the Jaguars offense is going to find success. They're probably not going to dig themselves into a 20, nothing hole like they did back in week 10. And that will allow them to stick with the running game, which they couldn't do in that first matchup. When you look at that first game, because they trailed so much, they only attempted 16 rushes and on those rushes, Travis ATN, he looked like, you know, there was plenty of running room and it's difficult to run particularly up the middle against the chiefs. But when you can get out wide, uh, you have some chances to make some plays and ATN is a player that in space can make plays. So I do think that the Jags offense is going to keep this game competitive. But ultimately, it's hard to see how they can win this game. Andy Reid, incredibly, is 27-4 and off a bye. That's that's unreal. Um, so knowing that, it's uh, there's a plenty of, of value in a money line bet. Obviously, you're going to lay 3.5, to 1, depending upon where you are. But I would be absolutely shocked if the Chiefs didn't win this game. So it's almost free money. But it's just not going to be a ton of money unless you're laying a ton. Um, if you take a look at some of the injuries that come in, the Jags have a couple offensive linemen that are banged up, but they're likely to play. Frank Clark is dealing with a groin injury for Kansas City, but he returned to practice on Tuesday on a limited basis. That's a really good sign that he's going to play. So it appears that both teams will, for the most part, be at full strength. There is some rain scheduled as of right now in the forecast for this game Saturday night. That maybe limits the passing games a little bit and forces teams to rely on their ground game. Isaiah Pacheco, the rookie from Kansas City, had a really solid uh, game in their first matchup. Jarek McKinnon is incredibly scored a touchdown, I think, in five or six straight games. But that's through the air. Uh, He doesn't really run the ball very often. But there should be plenty of points coming in this game. If you look at some of the trends, the Jags are actually eight and five outright as an underdog this year. That's the most wins as an underdog outright in the Super Bowl era. That's really impressive. Doug Peterson as a head coach, 6 and 0 against the spread in 5 and 1 outright in his in his playoff career. So there's plenty of reasons to like the Jags with the points getting 8 and a half. Meanwhile, the Chiefs that you know, they're favored in their 14th straight playoff game, which is most in NFL history but they haven't been very good against the number. They're 7-10 and 10 against the spread this season, but even worse, 2-10 against the spread against the AFC this year. One of those two was against the Jags, but I think you're going to see a different Jaguar team, especially on offense this week. Uh, historically, you know, the last few years, KC's in 12-18 and 18 against the spread when they're seven-point favorites. So when they're big favorites, they, they haven't covered very often. And interestingly, since 2006, so this goes back quite a ways, uh, number one seeds coming off their bye when they're touchdown or greater favorites in the divisional round are only four, nine and one at covering that line. And KC is one and four against the spread off their bye the last few years. Mm -hmm. So all of the data indicates the Jaguars, you know, getting eight and a half as the smart play but the Chiefs are still very, very likely to win this game. I don't consider the Jags a live dog. All right, also on Saturday, we have the early game, the first game of the weekend. We have, you know, what might be my favorite matchup on paper, uh, the Niners 
They are at home giving three and a half to the Cowboys. And this, this matchup evokes so much memory and emotion from my childhood. You know, during the early mid-90s, it seemed every year it was either going to be San Francisco or Dallas going to the Super Bowl until Brett Favre joined the party in the mid-90s. Uh, some of the best postseason matchups I can remember were between these two teams. Um, even going into the late 90s with T.O. and that catch. I mean, there's so many great games between these two, and we get another chance. And they squared off last year. Dallas was the favorite playing at home in this very round. And, of course, you know, to no one's surprise, or excuse me, it was in the wild card round, to no one's surprise, they lost. And San Francisco marched on and ultimately made it to the NFC title game. But now the roles are reversed a little bit. San Fran's the juggernaut. Dallas is the underdog going on the road where they actually have been much, much better the last few years. The last couple seasons, San Fran is 13-5 and five against the spread on the road. So they play very well away from AT&T Stadium. You know, they come into this game with a ton of confidence. They just hammered Tom Brady and the Bucks on Monday Night Football, uh, you know, potentially ending the GOAT's career. Um, so in their defense finally looked like the defense that we saw the first half of the season. But keep in mind, when we saw Dallas's defense struggle during the second half of the year, teams were able to run the ball very effectively with them, and that opens up play-action passing. And Tampa Bay was the worst rushing offense in the NFL. They averaged less than 77 rush yards per game this year. And to no one's surprise, they did not run the ball well in that game. We liked Dallas last week, and that was the primary reason why. Um, this week, they're going to face a totally different offense that is obviously one of the best rush offense in the league in San Francisco. Not only do they have McCaffrey, who's the ultimate jack-of-all-trades weapon, but they got Elijah Mitchell back the last couple of weeks. And his uh, you know, return to the Niners roster cannot be overstated in terms of its importance. That allows McCaffrey not only to, one, stay fresh, but also allows him to split out wide with Debo and Ayuk occasionally, and that just creates matchup nightmares. And Elijah Mitchell, don't forget, in his rookie season last year, was a top 10 back in the league, and his so many different statistics, you know, yards after uh, uh, yards per carry, uh, yards after first contact, like he's a physical runner who can finish runs. And so he's someone that Dallas will have to account for. And that could make things even easier in play action and for McCaffrey uh, coming out of the backfield. So this is a very, very different offense than what they just faced in Tampa, Tampa Bay. Um, and so I, I fully expect San Francisco to run the ball significantly better. And that's going to slow down that pass rush of Dallas. And generally uh, we've seen it for decades. The best way to slow down an opponent's pass rush is to run the football and San, Fran San Francisco does that very, very well. But on the flip side, San Francisco's defense, the last month or so, they've certainly shown some kinks in the armor. And, you know, we saw Seattle move the ball very well, at least in the first half, um, pretty much at will against this Niners defense. We saw, uh, Jarrett Stidham and the Raiders a couple weeks ago moved the ball at will against this defense. And they were healthy then and they're healthy now. So there's nothing that leads me to think that Dallas won't also be able to move the football. You know, 
they have their own two-headed uh, monster in the backfield with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And that allows them also to keep those guys fresh. And let's not forget Dallas is the best team in the NFL this year at finishing drives. They finished number one in the NFL in red zone percentage. And we saw it again against the Bucks in the playoffs on Monday night. Every time they got down there, they got seven. Well, I should say they were supposed to get seven. Maher made sure they got six by missing four extra points inexplicably. Um, and that is notable because those types of things, I know he made his last kick and he's getting the vote of confidence from his head coach, Mike McCarthy. But when you think about these types of situations with kickers, it's mental. It's not a physical thing. And when they're in their head, this doesn't normally go away the following week. This tends to linger. So I would not be surprised at all if he misses an early field goal or an early extra point. If we see Dallas get a lot more aggressive after scoring, going for it more often on fourth down, going for two point conversions. And so that, you know, helps fluctuate the line a little bit. So the line sitting right now is San Fran minus three and a half. The over under sitting at 45 and a half of all the things that you could play, because I do think that Dallas is a live dog. I mean, at the end of the day, we're still yet to see Brock Purdy play a poor game. Could he have his first poor game against a good defense? Uh, it's it's certainly possible. I haven't seen the evidence that leads me to believe it will happen. I'm not going to predict it to happen like a lot of other people are, but he is still a rookie, and there is, you know, a rookie has never, a rookie quarterback has never taken his team to the Super Bowl in the history of the league. It's never happened. So I'd say he's either going to lose this week or next week. Um, knowing that, Dallas is a live dog, but if I had to guess, San Fran finds a way to win the game. But I absolutely love the over. San Francisco has scored 37 or more points in four straight games. They are a juggernaut offensively. And they got Debo Samuel running the ball a little bit again last week, making plays out of the backfield. Now, because they have someone that can accurately throw the ball down the field, Brandon Ayuk is a legit weapon again. So you have Ayuk and Debo on the outsides. Kittle looks like a monster like he did a couple of years ago to go with that running game. There's little reason to see why San Francisco doesn't at least hit the mid mid upper 20s, if not get into the 30s. And again, Dallas, I think they're going to you know try to control the clock where they can and run the ball effectively. And because they are so effective in the red zone, they should be scoring touchdowns. So 45 and a half is a number. I absolutely love the over. Now we'll move on to Sunday and we finally get a chance to see the game that we all were so looking forward to on Monday night a few weeks ago, but weren't able to because of the unfortunate DeMar Hamlin injury. The Buffalo Bills four and a half point favorites against the Cincinnati Bengals. In some places, the line has since moved to five now. And I think a lot of that is because the offensive line issues with Cincinnati, you know, Lyle Collins is on IR. So they're, they knew they were already going to be down their left, left tackle. But last week, Jonathan, um, uh, excuse me, Jonah Williams, their right tackle suffered a dislocated kneecap. And right guard Alex Kappa suffered an ankle injury. And both of them are currently listed as week to week. Anytime you hear week to week, 
it's highly unlikely they are playing this week. So I think that news is what's helping this line push quite a bit. But despite that, there is still a lot of reasons to really, really like the Bengals in this matchup. Uh, For one, the Bills' defense is vastly overrated. I mean, they're flat-out average. I don't care what the stats say. I've seen teams move the ball against them far too often this year. I mean, Skylar Thompson moved the ball on them last week. Now, granted, a lot of the points that the Dolphins scored were due to Josh Allen's inability to take care of the football. But that's not something that's just going to go away. He leads the NFL with 21 turnovers, and he's also fumbled 10 other times that they didn't lose. So he has either thrown an interception or fumbled 31 times this year. That is astounding. And as much of a fan of of Josh Allen, I am, and I, and I love watching him play, and he has maybe the strongest arm I've ever seen and can do some things that I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback do Despite that, he is so careless with the football, not just throwing it and turning the ball over in the red zone frequently, which he still tends to do. But even when he's rushing the football, there were a couple plays last week where he didn't fumble, where he easily could have. And he's carrying the football out like a loaf of bread, as the old saying used to go. And it's like, man, when you're getting in there and you're getting hit, these guys are going for the football. Tuck that thing in and cover it up. And he, he just hasn't learned that lesson yet. So knowing the Bills are so turnover prone, and if you watch that first quarter that we got, or a little less than a quarter that we got in that Bengals-Bills game that was canceled, you know, Joe Burrow and that offense marched right down the field, no problem, scored seven. The Bills marched right back, drove, got inside the red zone, but stalled, kicked a field goal. And then the Bengals were marching right again, already crossed midfield until that injury happened. We were. It was looking like we were headed toward a shootout. And I see little reason to think that both offenses won't move the football in this game as well. And I think Cincinnati has maybe one of the more underrated defenses just because they don't have any household names. But, you know, they're a top 10 defense in a lot of metrics. And there's plenty of reason to love them getting the four and a half or five, depending upon where you are, uh, especially knowing... If you think about this game, they have to be live dogs, right? Anytime you got a legit live dog getting five points, there's some value there. And the Bills this year, they're just three, seven, and one against the spread their last 11 games. So they haven't been blowing anyone out like they were earlier in the season. Meanwhile, Cincinnati has covered eight straight games as an underdog. Uh, and Burrow, as a dog himself, is 15-7 and seven against the spread in his career. So the Bengals and Burrow particularly feel very, very comfortable in this situation. They're 12-3 and three against the spread in their last 15 games this year overall, whether as a favorite or a dog. Uh, so knowing all of that and knowing, again, how turnover-prone the Bills are, it, it's hard not to love taking the points in this game. All right, and now we move to the the Sunday evening game, the final game of the weekend, um, an old-school NFC East clash, the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the New York Giants. They're giving them 7.5, over under, over under sitting at 48.5. So obviously the Giants are coming off a really impressive performance, which we predicted last week on the show. We particularly love the over. It sailed over um, for us. And both offenses, you know, in that game, 
Daniel Jones, he might have played the best game of his career, both through the air and on the ground. He looked outstanding. He made good decisions with the football. He was accurate with the football. Um, it was really impressive to see what he did. He ran the ball 17 times as well for 78 yards, both of which led the Giants in that win against the Vikings last week. Uh, Saquon, you know, he had that one long touchdown run, but for the most part, the Vikings actually held him in check. Um, but Daniel Jones, there were a number of designed runs to him. And that's like the hidden part of his game and the Giants offense as a whole is his ability to, to extend plays or to just run the football on designed runs. And it's hard to account for defensively. But the Vikings defense, as we talked about last week, was one of the worst in the league, especially their secondary. I mean, how many times do we see giant receivers, Hodgins or whomever it would be, Slayton, catching the ball 10, 15 yards from the line of scrimmage, and there wasn't a Vikings defender within 10 yards of them. It was just, it was atrocious. You're not going to get that kind of space this week against this Eagle secondary. Now when they catch it, there's going to be someone on them practically every play. I'd be shocked if you're seeing broken coverages left and right. So knowing that, that's certainly going to limit things. Now, we can't obviously read much into their Week 18 matchup when the Eagles, they played their starters, but they didn't want to put much on tape because they knew they might see the Giants you know, down the road. And the Giants themselves benched almost all of their starters. So it's hard to take anything from that particular game. But they played three weeks before that, and the Eagles absolutely dominated. And that was back before Jalen Hurts was hurt when their offense was rolling. And in that game, they ran the ball down the Giants' throat. And that's been, you know, probably the biggest, most consistent issue with the Giants this year is when they face teams that can run the football, that are physical up front, they've tend to give up a lot of rushing yards, which then opens up play action and opens up big plays down the field. And the Eagles were one of the, the teams that took advantage of that. Uh, Miles Sanders ran for like a buck 50 and two scores in that game. They ran away with, I think it was 48 22. Um, so they nearly dropped a 50 burger on him. And, you know, the Eagles offense, it, when Jalen hurts got hurt and missed a couple weeks, even as a team, as a whole, they lost a lot of that momentum. And so normally when a team has a buy, it could potentially hurt a team's momentum, but because they didn't really have much momentum going in, I think the buy actually really helped the Eagles quite a bit get back on track. Uh, Jalen Hurts looks to be fully healthy. He was taken off the injury report entirely this morning, as was Josh Sweat. Um, so the only injury worth noting for Philadelphia, Lane Johnson, their right tackle, he's questionable, but he also returned to practice this week. So it appears as though if he's practicing on Tuesday and Wednesday, he's likely to play on Sunday. Um, the Giants on the flip side, they're near fully healthy. A couple guys nicked up and listed as questionable, but more than likely they're going to go. So both teams look to be, for the most part, very, very healthy coming into this. So then we look at it. You know, I, I do think that the Giants are going to have a hard time winning this game outright, but there's so many reasons to love them getting the points. This season, they're 14 and four against the spread, which is pretty remarkable. And they're 11 and two against the spread as an underdog. Those 11 covers as a dog is the most by any team during the Super Bowl era. Um, so that they're 
accustomed to being in this spot and playing well and keeping it close. They're eight and one against the spread on the road this year and have covered five straight on the road. Daniel Jones, him particularly on the road in his career, he's 19 and seven against the spread. And the Giants, even as an organization, have covered 10 straight on short rest. And, you know, they're, they're, they're only getting the, the, the six days with this game being Sunday. Uh, well, I don't know why that was a set that I came across because now I think about it, it's not really on short rest. They played on Sunday morning and now they're playing Sunday night. Um, that is the Sunday night game, right? Maybe I looked at that wrong. Let's take a look. Because if I did, then that stat is meaningless. But I could have sworn that this was the Sunday night game. Oh, I did have it backwards. The Giants-Eagles is the Saturday night game. Okay, so so that short rest stat is pertinent to this discussion. Um, So knowing that, so the Giants are very, very accustomed to being in the spot and playing well. So there's plenty of reasons to think that the G-men are going to cover this seven and a half. Meanwhile, the Eagles historically are not a great betting favorite in the postseason. As a matter of fact, they have lost outright their last four playoff games when they were favorites. Uh, now, granted, that goes back a ways. It goes back to the mid-2000s. Uh, there was one in 2013, one in 2011, one in 2018, and then one in like 2008, I think it was. Um, so they haven't been favorites all that often in the postseason over the last couple of decades. But the last four, they lost them outright. And they're 0-4 against the spread their last four games, 8-9 and on the season. So they're not great at covering the number in you know, similarly to that Chiefs team that we referenced earlier, one seed's coming off the bye since 2006, four, nine, and one against the spread when they're more than touchdown favorites. So there is plenty of reasons to love the Giants. I have to believe that this team with Brian Dable, you know, turning them into believers, playing a team that they're so familiar with that they know so well, will keep this close. So I like the Giants with the points, but I there's no way I see them winning this football game. So the Eagles with the Chiefs on the money line, you put those two together to at least uh, mitigate some of the odds you're laying isn't the worst play. So speaking of that money line, if you are looking to get slightly better odds, like I talked about, the Chiefs money line with the Eagles, those are the two that coming into this week you feel very confident will win outright you might not know for sure if they're going to cover the spread in fact i actually like both dogs to cover the spread in both of those games but i like both those teams to win the game itself if there was one you wanted to put with it to to help improve your odds because you're going to lay about minus 175 if you just put the chiefs and eagles together and you know all season i've been talking about money line parlay bets right all year long on Kendall's corner. I've been hammering it. We hit it again last week. We're now 11 and five on our money line parlay bets this year. Um, and we got better than even money once again last week. I, I'm not a huge proponent of it if I'm laying close to two to one. And that's what you're going to get if you just put the Chiefs and Eagles together. So if there was a third element to this weekend's games that I feel very confident in, it is that aforementioned Cowboys 49ers over. Again, there's so many reasons that game goes over 45 and a half. I was surprised that line wasn't much closer to 50. You put those three together, you're actually going to get plus 190. So you're getting almost two to one on your money. That's your money line parlay of the week. 
And interestingly, the teaser is a lot easier than the money line this week because uh, there's a couple games that you can take advantage of and it and it darn near becomes simple, easy money. The Chiefs line sitting at eight and a half. It's crucial that you get it there and tease that down to two and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if that line goes up to nine in the next day or two. So grab that while it's still at eight and a half. Tease it to two and a half. Tease that Bills Bengals over to 42 and a half. I mean, you you tell me how this game isn't going to have 43 points. I would be shocked if there weren't 43 points in that game. The last Bills, I think the last five Bills games have sailed over the over just by themselves with these offenses. We're going to see more than 43. And then I like the Cowboys Niners over 45 and a half. So, of course, if I include that in my teaser, I certainly love it to go over 39 and a half. You put those three together, you get plus 140. Uh, so not bad odds for three things that I feel extremely confident in. So overall, as a season, this NFL season, we are hitting at 68%. Our money line parlay bets are hitting at 70%. We are crushing it. And I implore you before the season ends to try to take advantage, jump on the train while there's still a little bit of time left. As the, the offseason approaches, we're going to start diving more and more into some other fringe sports, some other futures bets. But until then, take advantage of NFL while you still can. This has been Kendall Caps and Lay the Points Podcast. We'll see you here again next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.